here. Well, Lena, I'm going to turn the show over to you and let's rock and roll. That's my two, some of my favorite words. <laughs> so welcome everybody to She Said, She Said, our final show of 2021, where we are celebrating the fifth annual best of show for the year. And tonight we celebrate nine fantastic authors who published books in the last 12 months that rocked the Casbah. It's great Beatles books that I know you'll want to own and give as holiday presents. I am your co-host, Lena Stagg, the culinary chef and author of the Recipe Records cookbook series. I will show you quickly some of my books. So we have Recipe Records, which is uh, it was endorsed by country music legend Charlie Daniels, oh, and it contains rock and roll recipes and trivia, quips and quotes, and suggested song lists to go along with the recipe you are humming up in your kitchen. And it's quite fun to have a little theme night and bring that rock and roll into your kitchen. We have also Recipe Records, the 60s edition, which is food and music of the 60s for all of you flower children. And Jude is going to hold up. Here it is, guys. This is her uh, culinary tribute to the Beatles. Yes. And I'm sold out at the moment, but they're on their way. <laughs> so um, that book came out uh, 2013 or so, and it celebrated 50 years of the Beatles coming to America and contains 50 recipes for 50 years of the Beatles and contains some recipes from some very wonderful celebrities, such as Jude Sutherland Kessler. <laughs> the strawberry pie forever and David Bedford has the recipe for Scouse from all the way from Liverpool and it's delightful for all of you rebels we have the rolling scones let's I always have to do the British scones Let, let's spend the bite together so this is fantastic um rolling stones recipes and trivia, and such. I have a couple of children's books. Little Dog in the Sun, which is a nonfiction story. It's a little sad. It's about the loss of my friend that wrote uh, some of the cookbooks with me, but it, it turns around and has a good message. So, and then we have local flavor of uh, Little Dog and Little Dog About Town and Evansville Tale, which can contains beautiful watercolor prints of local spots in Evansville. Jude, take it away. All right. Well, yes, I want to tell you, if you have not bought any of these books in the Recipe Record series, they were way ahead of their time. When Lena came out with the books originally, she gave you playlists to listen to as you were cooking in the kitchen. Well, there was no A-L-E-X-A. -E I can't say her name or she'll buddy onto the show. She's right here. But there was no listening device to play the songs for you. Now you just tell her to play the songs on Lena's list. And while you're cooking, you can listen to all those great songs right there. So they, it was way ahead of its time. Great, great, great books. We are so thrilled to have you here. You know, 60 years ago today, a young man, a 27-year-old named Brian Epstein at that time, it was before he came to America and found out that the name was being pronounced predominantly in America Epstein. And he met with Bob Wooler at the White Star and said, 
I think I'm going to adapt to the Americanization and be known from henceforth as Brian Epstein. But he was Brian Epstein at that time. He took a stroll down Matthew Street with a single T to a place that Debbie is so familiar with and her heart you know, is beating a little bit faster right now because she knows I'm talking about the Cavern Club. He walked in only planning to stay for 20 minutes, but these boys on the stage and their leathers who were throwing sandwiches at the audience and swearing at the audience when the audience swore at them. And believe me, I've been there. I was there in 1993 when the pies were on stage and, and they were, you know, the same thing was going on. I felt like I was back with the Beatles. He saw these guys and he stayed for their whole first set, went back to the band room and talked to them and then stayed for another set. And the crux of it all was that he offered them a loose managerial agreement that changed all of our lives and brought us here tonight, 60 years ago. So it is on an auspicious day that we all gather to celebrate the Beatles and to celebrate all of these wonderful researchers, authors who are still keeping them very much in the forefront and keeping them alive. And um, I'm Jude Sutherland Kessler. I'm the author of the John Lennon series, which is a researched and documented historical narrative about John's life. And if you write about John's life, you obviously have to write about the Beatles as well. And the latest book, which is one that you can work out with, is, Lena's got it, there she is, is Shades of Life. This is volume five in the series. We had to make volume five a two-parter because 1965 was just replete with activities and things that the boys were involved in. They never stopped working. You know that commercial, Never Not Working? That's the Beatles, never not working. And so it just came out two weeks ago. We've already sold half of them, yay! So jump in there and grab your copy. And um, we are just so very thrilled to be able to have the opportunity to be able to share. I'm gonna give away two free copies tonight on the show and be able to share it with some of you tonight. So um, we are gonna get started. I wanna say before we do that these authors and Ken will be the first one uh, will um, are in no particular order. We're not going from the best book to the worst book. These are all what we consider to be the great books of this year. And Lane and I could not include everyone because there are many, many great books out there. For example, a book just came out very, uh, just a few days ago. It's out in the UK and the title is The Fab, The Beatles Fab Four Cities. Let me make sure I got that right. The Beatles Fab Four Cities. My sweet friend, Susan Ryan is one of the authors. The very brilliant Dave Bedford of Liddy Pool and the Fab 104 and the Country of Liverpool and the fabulous book, Looking for Lennon, what a um, film, Looking for Lennon, one of my favorite John Lennon films. Uh, and, and Richard Porter, who does amazing Beatles tours and has written several great books about the Beatles. Um, they collaborated on this book. And you can order it in the U.S. now. It's going to be out on 11-22, which all of you know is a, is a date that we will never forget. It's like saying 9-11 to someone. 11-22, of course, is the day that President Kennedy was assassinated. But good. We will remember it from now on is the day that Susan's new book is coming out. So we'll, we'll do a show on that later. But in no particular order, we jump to our really big show 
And I have to say, I call this author the Energizer Bunny of the Beatles world because he, well, a good a macho Energizer Bunny can not a not a not a little not a little dancy around. No, I'm okay little, with dancy around. <laughs> You're okay with that? Okay. Well, he this this gentleman write wrote three books this year, so not just one but three. And he's also working on other big projects while this is going on and running the academic studies at Monmouth University and teaching classes and being a husband and a father and doing all the things that he does in his private life. His books are not, you know, somebody, some people write books and they jot them off very quickly and there's not much substance to them. But the books that he writes are some of the best Beatles books ever composed. This one, John Lennon, 1980, I was very reticent to read because I thought it was going to make me sad. I thought it would be a book that would be hard to digest. It was one of, it is in my top three of John Lennon books because it doesn't just tell you about John Lennon in 1980. It takes you through the 70s with John and it leaves you in a very positive and happy place. And if I had to choose a final year of my life, the year that our our first guest portrayed would be the kind of year I would want to, to close out my life. He also composed this great book, which is Solid State, the story of Abbey Road and the end of the Beatles. And again, this could have been a very depressing book, a very contentious book, but it's anything but that is an exciting book. So we are grateful and very excited to have with us the one and only Dr. Kenneth Womack, or is it Womack, Ken? Have I been saying it wrong all these it's years? whatever you'd like it to be. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, Jude. And, you know, I think I speak for everybody when I, I thank you for the communities that you build for all of us. Uh, you've been doing this since the moment you entered the Beatles world and, and you make people feel comfortable, you give them support avenues uh, for for collaboration, all of that that really good stuff. And uh, I salute you for that. And and it's wonderful to see John Pizzini on, on tonight too, who has done a very similar uh, activity on behalf of us in, in the cyber world, giving us a place to go where people are supportive and thoughtful. And there's just not enough of that in the world. So thank you, Jude. And you know, thank you too, Linnea, for all of the wonderful work you do. I miss seeing you guys. We miss seeing you. We really do. Well, tell us first about John Lennon, 1980. Sure. Well, uh, my goal was to reclaim uh, that space as a creative and artistic renaissance for him. It turned out it was the last one. You know, obviously he doesn't know that as he's as he's cruising along that year, gathering steam, uh, regathering his his artistic energy and confidence. Right. Uh, that are so very important to that story. And, and I started uh, very much like you described it earlier. I, I wanted a book to exist that showed us how we lived during that period as opposed to overemphasizing um, right. what happens in a flash of an instant. Um, and, and I think I, I think it speaks to all of us, right? We want to have we want to have one last, uh, I think, uh, shot at greatness. And to me, that's what what John did in spades. And I I wanted a place that would tell that story in one venue as opposed to all over the place, which I think is important work that a lot of folks uh, here are doing uh, in ongoing ways. You know, by bringing uh, these resources together, we can enjoy the story in full as opposed to having to go over here and over here. And 
um, and uh, and not get the full tale. And of course, you've been doing that for many years over many volumes, Jude. Yes, uh, with a great deal of obsession. But this, <laughs> you know, just the way that John wrote Watching the Wheels, which goes through 10 years of changes and alterations and all the way that you carry the development of that song through the 1970s is just so fascinating. I knew none of that. And it is, this is a, one of my very, very favorite John Lennon books. I highly recommend it to everyone listening tonight. Now, tell us, you have the same sort of flavor with Solid State, but of course, this is the in, in years of the Beatles. So tell us a little bit about that one. Sure, I, 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 I want these to be stories. I think the Beatles are these amazing stories. I get, I'm very fortunate every fall to be able to tell the Beatles story over 12 weeks an album per week in class. And there's really nothing like it. It's an amazing story. And I tell them, and I know not, not perhaps not everybody on this call will agree. These are not necessarily geniuses. They're not naturally brilliant, but coming together with their work ethic and uh, their desire to take advantage of the moment and vote with their feet and stay together as long as possible, um, which is saying something, uh, creates a miracle. Uh, yes. So I, I, I was looking at Solid State as being one piece of that. Yeah, it's a sad ending for us because there, we always have the what might have beens, those sorts of questions that linger on after something beautiful is, is lost. Uh, but uh, I, I made a point of ending it with uh, a lovely man that I know so many of you know, Ken Townsend. Um, who really uh, took the idea of Abbey Road and rebirthed the studio. Probably, not probably, he saved it, uh, you know, in many ways from becoming, what was it going to be, David, a car park, I think, you know, <laughs> that was going to be a garage. So, you know, um, I, I look for those kinds of moments and stories, but I think that's what we all want, or just really well-told stories. And I think the Beatles is one of the most amazing one of all. It's sad. One guy is is killed another dies early and leaves the pages of the story too soon. You know, there are all sorts of, well, and Brian, as you started with tonight. So it's a story about real life. Yeah, it is. And, and, and a just, musical miracle, you know? Yeah. But you know that I love the way that you, I mean, you tell the real story. You, you don't lacquer over the rough parts, but you also have, because of the, your outlook of life, you, you see it in a positive way. And I think that's going to be reinforced by what we see in the Let It Be docuseries that's coming up too. That it wasn't all arguing. It wasn't all bickering. It wasn't all, I hate you, I quit the band. But it, you point out that there were good things too. Well, sure. And, and you know, uh, I, I hope there's a really a good sense of balance and not whitewashing in that. I'm, I guess we'll find out pretty soon. Um, I see it as the greatest comeback victory in the history of music, you know, yeah. that only they could have authored. Yeah, yeah, I so, so agree. Dara Roberts said it's probably better than the class that she took on the Beatles. She would love to be in your class. <laughs> well, so. you are welcome. Uh, if we go online again, uh, I, I hope to provide folks with invitations. I hope we're not online again, though, actually. So, yeah. Um, because you certainly can do a lot uh, in the classroom that is denied through the online experience. Yes, that is so true. And we are looking forward to seeing you at the Fest for Beatles fans, April 1st through the 3rd. Yes, baby. We hope we all get to go. We are at fingers crossed. 
Well, Lena, I'm going to hand it over to you and we're going to jet all the way from New Jersey down to Nolens. All right. Well, first of all, I want to make sure that Ken tells everybody where to find his book and oh, yes. him on social media. Absolutely. Sure. Well, you can you can find them at uh, certainly at, at Amazon and online retailers of the sort. I know that uh, in particular, in the case of Cornell University Press, who published Solid State, they'd love you to visit their website. Um, they actually were one of the uh, I've worked with many commercial presses and, and presses of all sorts of ilk. And uh, I think Cornell was the best one by a mile. Uh, what an amazing experience um, that was. So uh, check them out uh, at Cornell University Press. And, uh, and I'm at KennethWomack.com. Or for Jude, KennethWomack.com. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> if they're both good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's wrong with me. My, uh, my research assistant is named Susie do chateau do shadow and i have the hardest time i always want to say do chateau because i'm from louisiana so <laughs> i'm very very sorry all right lena go for it all girl. right okay so i am so excited to uh tell you about our next guest who is a household name in every beatles family across the globe he's published 13 books on the beatles including the beatles are coming the Beatles for Sale on Parlophone Records, and the two-volume The Beatles Story on Capitol Records, and so, so many others. And they mention him all the time on the SiriusXM Beatles channel. He's a fantastic author and researcher. In 2021, he released the historical but very colorful story of the Beatles' magical mystery tour and Yellow Submarine. So Jude and I, which is a fabulous book. So Jude and I always look forward to seeing this distinguished writer and our friend when we visit NOLA, and we can't wait for things to return to normal so we can spend some time with him at the Fest for Beatles fans and Abbey Road on the River. So please welcome the one and only Mr. Bruce Spicer. Bruce Spicer. Thank, so thank you. Great to be on the show. Awesome. So Bruce, tell us about your books. Well, the um, latest book I'm doing is called The Beatles Magical Mystery Tour in Yellow Submarine, and it's part of an album series I'm doing. Uh, originally, after I'd retired from writing books on the Beatles, I did a book on Sgt. Pepper. And then, of course, people said, well, you have to do one on the White Album, which was my favorite album, so I knew I had to. Then there was Abbey Road, and then, of course, I finally had to do The Beatles' Finally Let It Be. And I thought, OK, now I got to go backwards. And I ended up doing Magical Mystery Tour and Yellow Submarine because it was a book I could actually research from my house because I wanted to get to all of the British weeklies, the music weeklies. And for 1967 and 68, they're pretty well represented online. However, the earlier years, not so much. So this was not going to book the book I was going to do, but it worked out really well. And as I was doing the book, I kind of realized Think of it this way, like, you know, you've just finished Sgt. Pepper. So like you've just won the Super Bowl and rather than going to Disneyland and taking off several months before the next football season, you immediately start practice. And what do you do for practice? Well, gee, we've got uh, this idea that Paul came up with for let's do a TV special. 
So we need to record the song for it, Magical Mystery Tour. Oh, yeah, we agreed to do some songs for a cartoon called Yellow Submarine. Let's record some songs for that. Oh, wait a minute. We need to do a song that's going to be broadcast throughout the world by satellite. They need it in a couple of weeks. We're going to have to record it live before a studio audience. It needs to be something simple that everyone in the world can relate to because not everyone's going to know English. Yeah, we can do that. No problem. You know, and it was just one thing after the other. And then, okay, well, now we got to shoot this magical mystery tour thing. Oh, then Brian dies. Oh, now we're going to go off to India for Transcendental Meditation, but we still have to do Magical Mystery Tour. Oh, and before we do that, we need to knock out a few songs. So let's knock out Lady Madonna. We'll put vocals on the inner light, which George did the instruments for in India. And uh, John has this little song across the universe. He doesn't really like it, but everyone else loves it. And we need one more song for the film. So let's do Hey Bulldog. Yeah, okay, no big deal. So that's, you know, in 30 seconds or 60 seconds, the Beatles post Pepper phase. And what an incredible phase it was. Yeah, it was. Here's your here's the book for those of you who haven't gotten it yet. And I think uh, so. Uh, Ted Morrison is writing that he has all of your books. Oh, as, thank you. as do I. So, uh, you know, really, this is, this is one that I really enjoy because this is an era I didn't know a lot about. And here's the back of it for everyone to see. And, you know, what was fun in doing the book, and of course, every time I do one of these books, I think it's true of every author, you want to find out at least one thing that most people don't know. And for this book, when I started the book, I was trying to figure out when was Magical Mystery Tour, the film, first shown to audiences in the United States? And fortunately, I was able to come across uh, to get that time frame. And the, the, actually, it was first shown in Los Angeles. And uh, earlier than anything I'd read online, in, in all my books, I have a section called Fan Recollections, where I ask people to send in their own stories about albums. And this one kid sent me something. And he said, I know I saw one of the first showings. Turned out it wasn't the first, but it certainly was one of the first. It was on the campus of UCLA, and he had saved the flyer from it. And that's one of my favorite images in the book, where it's actually a flyer from this showing of Magical Mystery Tour uh, on the UCLA campus. Tickets were like $1.50. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, and it was not a midnight movie then. And so that was kind of fun to, to, you know, learn that. And also, you know, just to see how people in England found out so much more about these different projects as opposed to us in the States. They had four music weeklies. We didn't have much. But what was interesting with Yellow Submarine was the film came out in the UK in the summertime of 68. And in the US, it wasn't coming out until November, December, depending on where you lived. And so a lot of US magazines had features on Yellow Submarine leading up to the film. And if you read McCall's magazine, which I didn't, there was a wonderful feature on a book that was being done about the film. And, you know, and so it was various different places. Uh, Seventeen magazine had a nice little blurb on the film. Uh, none of these were things that I read. So when the film came out to me, you know, I, I really had no idea what to expect other than what I'd read briefly in Rolling Stone magazine. So um, but I think that was, you know, kind of fun by taking these different perspectives of what how people learned about these projects in the UK, how they learned about them in the US and Pierce Hemmingston helping me out with Canada. And we had some fun things too. I asked, uh, you know, Al Sussman to write something about 
uh, the Beatles, which he did a wonderful little piece on. And uh, Frank Daniels on the rivalry between the Beatles and the Rolling Stones, which oh. kind of came to a head at that time, because in the U.S., the number one album for eight weeks was Magical Mystery Tour. And number two behind it for four of those weeks was the Rolling Stones' their Satanic Majesty's Request. And so you get things like that. And then the fan recollections are always fun. And you meet such wonderful people through the Beatles world. I met a wonderful guy named Gary Marsh, who um, was a you know Beatles nerd his whole life and has like about 20 scrapbooks of stuff. And so when I was doing my research, I sometimes would hit a point and I would say, okay, I need like the review of Lady Madonna and Melody Maker because that isn't online. I'd call up Gary, you know, do you have it? Oh yeah, I have that, no problem. And so, you know, it was really great. And to hear his story about, you know, experiencing these things. And one of the things he pointed out was the BBC gets lambasted for how could you show Magical Mystery Tour in black and white? And it ruined it for everyone. And what he pointed out was, look, they showed it a week later in color. But the only people that had color TVs were people like the Queen and the Beatles. because no <laughs> one could afford a color TV. So he said, I saw it on BBC, too, but it was in black and white. It really, you know, there wasn't anything the BBC could do to have the entire British population have color TVs. So I thought that was kind of an interesting little insight there. So, you know, you get those those fun things. Another guy who ends up, he now owns the Magical Mystery Tour coach, the actual one. And that's been confirmed. And that's kind of a cool thing. And, uh, you know, other person who happened to be in England around the time and ends up when the Beatles uh, are in the audience where we have the Bonzo Duda band doing Def Cab for Cutie, and he's in the audience for that. You know, just a lot of cute little stories um, that you get. I mean, I really have a lot of fun doing the the fan recollection sections of the books. It's one of my favorite to to put together. But I love you know, it. That's fantastic. So, Bruce, tell us where can all of our fans find your books and follow you on social media? Yeah, I. You know, I prefer for you to buy them from my website, Beetle.net, because uh, obviously the middleman doesn't get any money. And if you do order from the website, I do personally sign all the books going out. And if you want personalization, I will personalize them. And also, unlike retailers I will not name, we bubble wrap the books and we put them in a sturdy box. So when you get your book, it doesn't have dented corners. Um, but you can, of course, get it through places like Amazon and other fine retailers and brick and mortar things. And also, I recently entered into, I self-published my books, and I recently entered into a deal for the paperback copies of the album series, the first four, through a company out in New York called Imagine and Wonder, and they will have paperback editions of the album series books, and Barnes & Noble is even selling some two-fours of those right now. So if you want to have both the hardback and the paperback edition, have at it. <laughs> I love it. Well, they are great. I can vouch for them. And I wish I could swing my camera around and show you my Bruce Spicer bookshelf. <laughs> but I started to take them all down. And then I thought, I don't know if I can lift all of those. They're <laughs> heavier than mine and beautiful books. And I hope, Bruce, that you have time to go back and look at all the comments that people have been writing about how great your books are over here. Oh. And also beautiful comments about the wonderful Pierce Hemmingson. Like, such a wonderful person and, and wonderful great writer man. and great writer as well. And Al Sussman, absolutely one of the best, you know, I, and Frank as well. You have a great team, wonderful team. So well, thank, thank you. you. Bill, Bill King has also contributed to the uh, books as well. So, and Jude won a wonderful, uh, you know, fan recollections from Jude. So 
and Lena as well. So it's always fun to get the fan recollections. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. And we are moving rapidly on to our next author. I was asked uh, to review this book by this author's publisher. And people have done so many sweet things for me and have been so supportive of the John Lennon series and have helped me so much that I wanted to pay it forward. And so I agreed to review the book, but the minute that I started reading it, I was hooked. For four nights, I couldn't sleep because I could not wait to hear the end of this story about two teenage girls who ran away to London. And one of the teenage girls is here with us tonight, Janice Mitchell, who wrote My Ticket to Ride, How I Ran Away to England to Meet the Beatles and Got Rock and Roll Banned in Cleveland. True story. So, Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And, Jude, I just need to thank you because you've been so wonderful to me, mainly a stranger, but you've taken me under your wing and you've given me um, so much positive feedback. You're like, you're my mentor. <laughs> so I have to give you... Uh, a lot of uh, thanks and, and love. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Well, we're friends, and I just appreciate, and you're coming to the Fest, the Fest for Beatles I, fans in New Jersey, April the 1st through the 3rd. It looks that way. Yay! Well, tell <laughs> us about your book, Jan. I, I gave them a hint, but tell them the story without the ending. Right. Well, it, this is my true story from 1964. Uh, in 1963, uh, it was... Uh, a very bad year for me. And uh, my great uncle, who was the light of my life, he died suddenly. And then that was pretty hard for me to, um, to deal with. And then along, alongside that was, of course, President Kennedy's assassination. So the year was just, you know, pretty miserable. And, but I had always found music in one way or another to really uh, give me a lot of happiness. I'm in the kitchen doing my homework. I go to Catholic school, right? The nuns don't care that it's you're supposed to be on holiday. You gotta get your homework done. I'm in the kitchen with my transistor radio. There was only two radio stations in Cleveland at the time, KYW and WHK. And they played everything that anybody was supposed to listen to. And disc jockeys then, they could choose their own discs to spin. You know, they could make, uh, they could make a recording artist. And you could call the station, talk to the DJ, make requests. And this was our technology. We didn't have any technology. We had a phone. And uh, if you called somebody and there was a busy signal, that was it. You know, there was no internet. There was no iPhones. There was nothing. So I'm there gazing out into the dreary Cleveland winter sky. And all of a sudden, this disc jockey who was, we knew was coming from Cleveland, Gary G., hoping he was going to bring some new records with him. So I changed the station, and lo and behold, there's Jerry G. And he's saying, I think he's saying, and here's a new new group. I think he says the Beagles. So I thought it was the Beagles. And all of a sudden, I hear this chord that I couldn't believe. It, it just electrified me. It was the beginning chord of I Want to Hold Your Hand, the greatest song ever, ever made, in my opinion. It just changed me instantly. I became a completely different person. I felt happy, hopeful. You know, the, the chords, the music, the words, everything just changed my life instantly. And I was, I was probably one of the very first Beatlemaniacs 
you know, ever, at least in Cleveland. <laughs> so from that point on, my best friend and I, that's all we could talk about, you know, was the Beatles, Beatles, Beatles. And the only way you could actually see them or learn anything about them was by buying, uh, you know, teen magazines and Beatle magazines from the corner store and uh, buying trading cards and reading about them on the cards, listening to the records, and of course, making up our little stories, you know. Oh, you know, John and I walking down the street hand in hand, you know, Mrs. George Harrison, all that stuff. We did those things. We were actually Beatle, the Beatles maniacs at the very beginning. We were part of history, but we didn't know it. So um, I'm reading a Beatle magazine at my friend's house, and there's an article that says, and the Beatles can hang out in Soho in London. Nobody bothers them. And I said, what? That's where they are in Soho and nobody bothers them? Because we believed everything that was in the magazine because we didn't really know anything else, right? So I looked at my friend and I said, look at this. How can they print something so incredible in a magazine for anybody to read? And she said, yeah, what about it? And I said, what about it is we need to go there. So we started making plans to actually go to London. But we had to wait and see if we had won tickets yet for the very first Beatles concert in Cleveland, which was going to be September 15th, 1964, because that would determine when we were leaving. So careful planning throughout the summer, getting passports, buying TWA tickets, one way from Cleveland to London. We weren't coming back. I was going forever to Beatleland, where life would be happy. And... Um, where we would be breathing beetle air, we would be walking on beetle soil because everything wonderful came from the beetles. So that had to be where they came from and we had to be there. I had to be there. So we went to the concert, saw the concert. It was incredible. Um, that was the concert that the police had to stop it for 10 minutes because all the kids just started rushing towards the front of the stage. And, um, I was sitting front row center and I was really upset about these girls ruining this concert. How could they? I was raised like a good Irish Catholic girl, you know, where you were obedient and you didn't cause a big ruckus. And I just Oh yeah, uh-huh. You're telling us that now and then you're about to get on a plane and go to London. <laughs> oh well, yeah, that's different. You know, that's different. <laughs> I mean, I you know, so we see the concert. We had already made our reservations. Uh, the TWA agent said, oh, so your girls, your parents are sending you to England for vacation? And we both said, uh-huh. <laughs> Liars. Because we didn't tell anybody. We were doing this all on our own without a word said. So the day after the Beatles concert, I had already had all my clothes packed up and over at my friend's house under her bed because she said her mother never looks under there. Next morning, instead of going to school, we get in a taxi, we go to the airport and we fly to Heathrow. So all my planning really ended at that point. Mm. Oh, and plus during the summer, I had already written letters to Brian Epstein telling him that we would be moving to London and we were looking for jobs and that I had references figuring I was really going to seal the deal. Well, let's don't tell them anymore. Let's leave them right there because you have landed in Heathrow. 
And I want to tell you guys, this is a book worth reading. You will root for Jan. You will be in her corner. And it goes on for quite a while. You, she, I'm not gonna, we're not going to tell you anymore because we want you to get this great book. But Jan, is it a fair to say you were there for quite a while, weren't you? Well, and also, unbeknownst to us, we became internet, international. Uh, mm -hmm. We were being, there was a, a girl hunt on for us, international. Yep. And as a matter of fact, there's our missing posters right there. there oh. Yeah, uh -huh. right there. Uh -huh. They were looking for us. <laughs> we that didn't is, know it. it we it's a no great idea. Great, great book. Now, you grew up to become a private investigator and a federal investigator. And I hope, Jan, that you were kind to young girls who ran <laughs> away <laughs> and that you had a heart for these girls that had a dream, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and I'm hoping that I, the book is written not intentionally, but as if I was 16 years old. And I'm taking you along on my adventure. And I just hope that, are you, are you brave enough to come with me on my entire adventure? <laughs> I was brave enough and I loved it, loved it. Tell people where they can get the book. Jane. Well, you can get it on amazon.com, amazon.co.uk. Uh, you can go on my website, janice-mitchell.com. And there's a link tree that shows you all the different places. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. Um, get it through actually through my website your regular you know stores I, well I don't know it depends where you are certainly not in stores in England but over there you can get it on Amazon UK so it's available you know globally yeah and it's it is really riveting I have to say it's, and a lot of people have been writing in the comments on the side it's a great book they loved it a great read so bravo mm -hmm. to you on uh uh, Michelle Perlman asked a good question. She said, did Paul write she's leaving home based on your story in some form? You never know. That might have stuck in his head and he might have had a, a bit of a, a memory of that story because the story was in all the newspapers. So well, he did know. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much. And we did not really use any sort of organization in planning which authors would appear when on the show. But as it turns out, Lena, your your guest is a detective as well, right? Yes, he is. And I bet that they could collaborate, Jan and Jim could collaborate and come and solve some great mysteries. Oh, that'd be great. I love it. That's right up my alley. Let's do it, Jan. <laughs> Let's do it. So Jude and I consider our next guest to be a very, very dear friend. We've had many adventures with this incredible author, for instance, at Ken Womack's Monmouth University White Album Conference, and also in Walnut Ridge, Arkansas, where he was the featured author for the annual Beatles at the Ridge Festival, which takes place every September. And of course, we always look forward to chatting at the fest for Beatles fans in Chicago. We sort of kind of get in trouble, but <laughs> not me. I'm not ever. It's the two of them. <laughs> I know. I know. We're, We're trouble. Jude is a, rude, is a rule follower. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Jim is known as the rock and roll detective. And like Jan Mitchell, he stops at nothing to find the answers, solve the mystery, and get to the bottom of the case. So that formed the basis of his first book, Black Market Beatles, the story behind their lost recordings. And in the years that followed, this drive to search out the truth led him to work for Olivia Harrison as a historian during the making of George's biopic, My Most Favorite Show, The Living in the Material World. Then several years later, his investigative hunger led him to write a book about the Beatle who vanished, Jimmy Nickel, the drummer who sat in for Ringo during the first part of the 1964 North American tour when Ringo had tonsillitis. And now that bestseller is being made into a film, which is, as they say, coming soon. So I'm thrilled to welcome one of my favorite authors, a rising film mogul, and my friend, Mr. Jim Birkenstadt. Thank you very much, Lena. Thank you so much, Jude. And it's nice to see some of my friends out there on the screen. Um, I can't wait until we can all be together. And hopefully that will be at the New York Metro Fest for Beatle fans where I'm planning to be. And I think many of you are too. So, And I hope all of you who are watching can, can come to that as well, because it's really a great experience and a lot of fun. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. So Jim, tell us, first of all, about the film. Okay. The film based upon The Beetle Who Vanished came about when uh, I was doing way too much Facebooking about my book and promoting it. And someone shared one of my posts onto the Roy Orbison post. And Alex Orbison, Roy's, Roy Orbison's youngest son, happened to see it because he was sort of administering that Facebook page that day. And he became very fascinated with it. Uh, Alex Orbison is also a drummer, so that intrigued him. And the fact that uh, Roy Orbison had toured with the Beatles in 1963, and then Roy was a member of George Harrison's uh, Traveling Wilburys. He just saw a lot of connections there. And he was struck by the, the theme that runs through The Beetle Who Vanished about how someone can go from being an everyday person, suddenly they're thrust into this huge amount of fame and attention and the prospect of making a lot of money. And then when that ends, how do you spend the rest of your life when you're only 25 years old? And I think you can, there's, there he is. There's yeah. Jimmy. So, uh, he um, and Ashley Hamilton, who's the son of George Hamilton, uh, both contacted me and, and said, we'd like to buy the film rights. And so I said, why don't we first uh, see if we like each other? Because we're probably <laughs> going to be working together. So we had visits in Nashville, Los Angeles, and we all just got on great. They're super nice guys. They're much nicer than and, uh, That's not true. It's really, it really a delight to get to know them, and now we're friends. But we, we put together a deal, and then uh, shortly thereafter, I was approached by a film company in England called Ecos Films. And some of you may know that company because they did a movie about John Lennon 
before he became famous called Nowhere Boy. And they're all about doing interesting films about people that have some connect, some connection to Great Britain. Anyway, uh, they approached me and didn't know I had sold the rights. I let them know. And we all got together and, and put together a deal a few years back. And now um, there was a bit of a, you know, 2020 wasn't really good for filmmaking. So that slowed things down. But right now, um, we are working on the script. I'm, I'm the script consultant. And I'll just say real quick that it's really fascinating because someone who's writing a film script may see something that was only two sentences in your book, not well flushed out. And then they'll want to know, well, they'll come back to you and say, well, can you talk to this person again? And can you find out more about this this riot in Mexico and all these things, you know, that I might've just mentioned in passing because they see a visual interest in it. And, and, and also maybe it fits in better with their version of events. So um, that's been very enjoyable, satisfying. I'm hoping the script gets sort of finally approved by next, uh, say March, and then they move into pre-production after that. So it's a lot of fun. I, I never in a million years even thought anybody wanted to read a book about a guy that only had one sentence in Beatle history, but it, it seemed to catch a lot of people's attention. And uh, I sure enjoyed, you know, digging into it as I do with all these uh, music mysteries. And for those people that haven't seen the cover, here is Jim's book. And um, it is really there are you know you have a lot of books that cover the same topic over and over this is something that you if you haven't read this book you probably don't know the information that's in here so and here's the back of the book <laughs> there you go sorry Lena about jumping in it oh absolutely um it's it's a terrific book and um we've we love hearing all the stories of Jimmy Nichols adventure um so can you tell us about your new book that you have coming out in 2022? Yes, hold on here because I'm going to change the virtual background. Oh. In time to discuss nice. the next book. Nice. Uh, this is some of the artwork that will be on the front cover. The next book is called Mysteries in the Music, Case Closed. And uh, as a former trial attorney, I, you know, I, and I'm sure Bruce knows this too as, a, as an attorney, you know, when you have an issue or a case, you really have to become, you have to bone up on it and you have to become an expert on whatever that case is, even if it's not something going to trial. And so I utilize the tools I learned as a trial attorney to look into some, you know, wild uh, myths, legends, conspiracies, and hoaxes in rock and roll. So each chapter is a different story. There are um, three, three of the uh, nine chapters are uh, related to the Beatles and then the other six are related to other people. As you can see, there's Bob Dylan, Bob Marley, that's two Bobs, and uh, John Lennon and Kurt right. Cobain. Uh, and I also tried to cover different decades in rock and roll I think I have someone from the 50s through the 90s uh, artists. And then I also have Charlie Patton, who was a great blues player uh, who first recorded in the late 1920s. 
So uh, just to give you a little taste of it, you know, oh, and I should, let me point out too that a lot of people will say, oh, I know the answer to that mystery. I, you know, I've read a blog or I've listened to a podcast. Well, if you think you know the answer, you don't. Because when it comes to digging into records that the government wouldn't even give me, but I got them anyway, or talking to the last living witness, uh, you know, of something where everyone else is dead and no one's asked them the questions, you find out that a lot of stories are quickly put together and thrown into the media or are rumors. And uh, these, these stories I really dug into to get to the bottom of it. So I begin by, you know, having people travel back to the 1950s to discover who really, to unravel who really discovered Elvis Presley. I revisit uh, the late 60s when a famous folk troubadour tried to form a supergroup with members of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. And what's really interesting there is uh, when I interviewed Jan Wenner, the founder of Rolling Stone magazine, who actually um, reviewed this uh, imaginary album. And then when I also interviewed Glenn Johns, who many of you now are uh, learning about uh, from the Get Back album and the movie, uh, his role there, you find out some really interesting things that no one ever knew about the possibility of these three artists getting together. It's quite, quite interesting. Then I, I go behind the scenes of CIA intrigue in Jamaica, 1976, to really uh, unravel whether the CIA tried to influence an election and arrange for the assassination of Bob Marley. Wow. That was really interesting. Uh, just, you know, quickly, I found these documents that neither the Obama administration nor the Trump administration would give me, even though they had been declassified. So I got the letter that many researchers get. We can neither confirm nor deny whether we have any records on the CIA and Bob Marley, which lawyer speak means we have them, you can't have them. So I found them, and what was interesting was that uh, Henry Kissinger had sent CIA agents into Jamaica uh, disguised as diplomats, and they had only had two diplomats there. Now they had 32 diplomats, and 30 of them were, were CIA. So it was uh, interesting, and I was able to find uh, one of them still alive and retired and, and go, you know, no one obviously had ever talked to this guy about this issue before. So very interesting. I talked to uh, people who were in the administration, et cetera, to, to really get to the bottom of that. I think the most interesting one that I looked into was whether or not the Beach Boys actually stole a song from cult murderer Charlie Manson. And uh, there was only one guy left in the room alive who still knew something about it. And he's hiding in an undisclosed state of, of the U.S. And uh, it was tough to find him. And then it, it was tough to get him to talk, but he finally did. And so I, I really wear these people down. So wow. anyway, it's fun. I will be uh, debuting that book at the uh, New York Metro Fest for Beatle fans. Uh, I think it's April 1st. 
I'll also then be in Los Angeles for the uh, LA Times Festival of Books, also in a later April, Chicago Fest for Beatle fans in August. And I'm looking forward to seeing all of you there. Fantastic. So, Jim, tell us where can people buy your book and books and follow you on social media? Uh, the Beetle Who Vanished in, and Black Market Beetles are both available at Amazon, uh, as is my book, Nevermind Nirvana, that came out in 1998. If you want to know how, a movie, how an album got made from the inside out. And uh, if you want a signed copy of The Beetle Who Vanished, you can go to thebeetlewhovanished.com. I'll be happy to send one. And um, the other book, is you can actually there's a little site we've we've uh, opened up just to promote the book and you can sign up for the newsletter and that that one deals with mysteries in the music and that website is uh what is that website it's musicmysterybook.com musicmysterybook.com you can find me also if you want to kind of have an overview of my career you can go to rock and and detective.com and you can go to facebook.com slash rock and roll detective for my facebook page instagram rock and roll detective and twitter is um ampersand or not ampersand and sign rock and roll or rock detective good great so i'm all you are. You are. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for being here tonight. Well, thank we, you both for having me. We really do appreciate it. And I have a name for the book that you and Jan can do together. Right. We can neither confirm nor deny. <laughs> Love it. That's Love a great it. Come on, Jim. Let's do it. Let's do it, Jan. We'll meet in New York. Yeah. I think it's a great, great idea. Well, I have to say that of all the people that are on this show tonight, I was most nervous about our next guest because about three weeks ago, I got mad and cut my hair off with scissors about this long in a fit of anger. And I did not want to face our next author who was a, he was the hairdresser to the stars and by the stars, I mean the biggest stars possible. And that is John, Paul, George, and Ringo, as it were. And he has wonderful stories about his years at Apple. He even had a uh, salon in Apple at one point. He talks about what it was like to try to cut John Lennon's hair while John would never get off the phone. It was conducting business the entire time. He has stories that you will hear nowhere else because he became friends with the Beatles, not just their hairdresser, which is enough because, you know, you tell your hairdresser things you never tell anyone else. But he also really became part of their inner circle. And so it is a great pleasure to welcome to the show the author of this amazing book, The Cutting Edge, Mr. Leslie Cavendish. Hey, Leslie. Hi, good, e uh, good evening and good morning from here. Uh, Jude, I've got to tell you, um, Mr. Sassoon at Vidal Sassoon have complimented you with that lovely haircut. Oh, you've got a Sassoon you. haircut there and I can see it very clearly. So it's looking you. good. Thank you. I was very nervous. I was like, he is going to, he's going to have bad dreams for three weeks after he sees this haircut. I'm always watching people's hair, all of you. <laughs> well, tell us about your book, Leslie. 
Yeah, it's just my sort of a journey, a magical journey from a 15-year-old boy that's um, lucky enough went to see the Beatles on a Sunday cold night in London called the Pigal Club, uh, where 150 people um, turned up. A guy used to book um, music bands at this club. At 15, I was a Beatles fan. You know, my sister had Beatles, um, John, George, Paul and Ringo on the wall and everything. And that particular day, I remember it very clearly, April the 21st, 1963, the Beatles were at Wembley Stadium, Wembley, Empire Pool Wembley, uh, the Musical Express Awards, 25,000 people they appeared um, at three o'clock in the afternoon. At 10 o'clock uh, at the Pigal, they were supposed to turn up and I never thought they would turn up and they did. Um, they introduced themselves, they did their quick set of 29 minutes I'm George, that's John, George and Paul, Ringo. I'm literally standing by the stage, um, which was amazing. Roll it on four years later, I never thought that I'd be cutting those four same guys. So um, that was all to do with uh, my lovely um, client, Jane Asher, who was um, Paul's fiance, girlfriend, who introduced me to uh, the boyfriend. Uh, have I got time to cut the boyfriend's hair, she asked me. So, yes, I certainly have. So I got to meet Paul, and that was in 1966, which was really lucky. Um, it was supposed to be um, Paul is dead, as far as I was found out, because when I was there, uh, the rumours had been um, around that uh, Paul is dead. Well, I can assure you all, and I've told people many, 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 many times, that is not true. I can prove it. That we've had a good laugh about it. Um, uh, even to a point where I was doing Paul's hair one day in his bathroom, his wet hair, his hair was all being combed back. And I just had to make sure that everybody here has got hair, knows about it. If you push the hair back, you get a little side break somewhere along the line. And I know where Paul's is, just to the left, just to the left. And as I was doing it, I was just thinking to myself, what happens if it doesn't fall in um, into that particular part? Then, then William, uh, William Campbell is there. Um, and it did. And I happened to say to Paul, Paul, I've got to tell some, something to tell you. And he said, what's that? And I said, you're not dead. He said, great. Thanks very much indeed. I've been worrying about it. So I'll give you, I've got loads and loads of stories and I kept it quiet. I never told anybody when I was going to cut the hair. I never told anybody what it was like being in the recording studio and rehearsing studios for a long time, which sort of gave me that sort of, I could be trusted type of thing. You know, I could have sold my story to the papers. I used to get offered lots of money and, um, you know, I could have kept autographs, kept their hair, never did that. And I just wrote these wonderful stories that I started thinking about years later, going on a magical mystery tour, Bruce. I'd love to read your book about that. Um, to be actually on the coach, to actually see the four Beatles together in the coach, working out, seeing Paul McCartney as the sort of conductor of the Beatles, which was amazing. Um, stories about uh, cutting Paul's hair really short, being called um, Leslie cut his uh, hair, Paul became a skinhead, um, but I had to cut his hair, um, you know, I didn't have to cut his hair, I suggested, uh, to cut his hair a quarter of an inch, you know, that much from a Beatle look. Um, saying, um, being caught out by a journalist, asking me about the texture of the Beatles' hair, and fell into the old uh, journalist trap of saying, John Lennon's going bald, which sort of made the papers everywhere. And um, 
you know, having a sort of little chat with John, being told that he was being bored and he was great. Um, meeting the Hells Angels at, uh, at uh, Apple, George Harrison's invitation. Uh, my dear good friend, Chris O'Dell, um, who was uh, staying with me in my apartment in Chelsea. And uh, I turned back, uh, turned back from the salon. I see two Harley Davidsons outside and I see smoke coming out of my apartment. Anyone would think that it's, uh, they're, they're gonna get a new Pope. You know, I thought for any moment, <laughs> things are gonna happen. And these are all amazing little stories I've put down in my book. And, uh, and they're just personal to me. It's, you know, I was a Beatles fan, ended up doing their, you know, cutting their hair. And with that, you know, I met a lot of um, uh, Apple recording artist, Jackie Lomax, who I love. You know, his great song, We Should Have Gone So Sour Milk Sea. Great, great song. Um, and, you know, and James Taylor um, cutting his hair in the early days when Peter Asher was there and our guy there. So, yeah, it's just sort of my journey. Well, it is, it is riveting. And I, you know, I've read so many books. If you look behind me and you see, and I've got three other walls of books on the other side. I've read so many. I thought, oh, what is going to be in this book that hasn't been in every other book? I knew none of these stories, none of them. And they made them all so personal. I love that John was the headmaster and all of the, you know, you told so many things that I'd never read anywhere else. And I, I enjoyed every page of it. Leslie was a, uh, Lena can tell you, I just kept saying, this is a great, great book. Where can people get your book? Well, they can get it from our good friend, David Bedford. Um, we've got the you know, www.beatlesbookstore, which is um, a great site with some great authors on there. And once you order it from there, I'll get it personally signed myself. You can reach me on my uh, Facebook page and you can go on my website, www.beatleshairdresser.com. So, you know, usual places, Amazon, but I think Bruce was saying that if you get it directly from us, You'll get a personal signature. We'll give a little message. And I think that's what we should all be doing. You know, we, we can all buy them from, from these places. But, you know, anybody that loves the Beatles, everyone wants to hear these stories, to dedicate a book to somebody, you know, to me is the icing on the cake. So I think that everybody should go to the author if they can get it in the first place. And um, otherwise, uh, just get it on Amazon or normal places. Right. Well, thank you so much. I know it's so late for you to be here this evening. Thank you very, very much very for welcome. being with us tonight. Lena, did you want to, you. I, if, if it's okay with you, Lena, we're going to change our order a little bit because Olivia uh, is on her lunch break and she needs to get back to work. So it's okay with okay. you. Absolutely. All right, we'll do that. We, Absolutely. I did want to ask uh, Leslie if he would cut our hair whenever we go to England. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I could do a Zoom cut as well, if you want. We could go <laughs> yes. through it, whichever style you like. Yeah, with pleasure. With pleasure. That's, Look forward to it. That's fantastic. I, I think yeah. a lot of people would go for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. So we go to all links at She Said, She Said to bring you the best guests. 
guests. And our next guest, guest authors hail from Australia, and heaven knows what time it is or what day it is there. But I have been adoring their gorgeous photos from Australia. We have a father and daughter writing team that set out to interview and capture the memories of the people in Australia who had seen or had contact with the Beatles. Their book is titled One Dream Ago. And here's the cover of it for you to see. And they'll tell you about the cover and the forward when they come on. But there it is. Beautiful book. Absolutely. The cover was created for them by none other than Klaus Vorman. And the foreword was written by the beautiful May Pang. Welcome, Michael X. Savis and Olivia Savis Koopman. Thanks, Lena. Thanks, Jude. Oh, uh, you keep talking. So um, I, I want to ask you both, you know, take turns. Tell us about the book and what inspired you and, and what we can expect from it. Well, the, the Beatles had their biggest reception of their career in Adelaide. And they had 300,000 people line the streets, uh, Anzac Highway leading to the Town Hall in 1964 when they came to Adelaide. And so that was already a big part of the Beatles story. And I wanted to write about that and I wanted to get stories from people who saw them or who met them when they came to Adelaide in 64, but also when they came here after individually. Uh, George Harrison came here for Grand Prix, quite a few Grand Prix in the 90s, and all of the Beatles came here at one stage. And also, I wanted to do something with my daughter, a labour of love with my daughter, because I don't go fishing, I don't do things like that, you know, so this is what I do, and I wanted her to be a part of it. And uh, it's, it, I mean, it, we did it uh, 10 years ago now, but it's actually had a new uh, lease of life this year. Uh, so that's why we're on this show. And thanks for having us here. Well, we're so, so, so appreciative for you too. What time is it there, by the way? Uh, it's uh, one o'clock on a Wednesday. Wednesday afternoon. Yeah, just oh, wow. after. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, Olivia, tell us about that experience of uh, working with your father um, on this project. And, I mean, you're pretty young to be a Beatles fan. So, tell, tell us a little bit of your perspective. Yeah, well, I was even younger when we did it to be a Beatles fan. Um, so, when we started doing the book, I was, I think, 14 um, or 15. Uh, and um, I don't think any of my friends quite understood what I was doing or why. Um, but I was raised on the Beatles and, and raised in, I guess, dad takes um, obsession with the Beatles to a whole new level. Um, so I, uh, the Beatles were all I knew growing up. Um, and also um, my grandma who, who passed away when I was, um, I think six or seven, um, had a great love for them as well. And I think that I felt that not only was it a connection to dad, something, something lovely that we could do together, but also a connection to her who had, who had passed on um, because they had, um, it was a real kind of facet of their relationship as well, loving the Beatles together. 
Um, so yeah, it was just for me an experience to do with dad, something cool to do. We, we traveled around and interviewed lots of people. And, um, I don't think I probably understood the impact or, or, you know, what an incredible experience it would be at the time. Um, but now, you know, as an adult, I, I look back on it, um, as kind of one of the best things that we've done together and, um, a really wonderful thing to have done, um, as a father and daughter duo. So. That's fantastic. So tell us a little bit, uh, Michael, about the cover. How did that come about? Well, and just on that uh, Beatles obsession, uh, as I said, the Beatles had the biggest reception on, of their career on Anzac Highway. I did buy a house on Anzac Highway. So this is coming from that road. <laughs> Ridiculous but true. Anyway, so the cover uh, was done by Klaus Vorman, as you said, Jude. And you can't really see, you're going to have to buy a copy to see, but there is an image of Jimmy Nickel on the cover. So Jimmy would be interested in that because I believe it's the only time Klaus Vorman has ever created an image of Jimmy Nickel. Uh, so he did that. Olivia and I are also in this, uh, this image. Um, but it's, um, it's got lots of stories, as I say, that haven't been told before, photos in there that haven't been seen before, because lots of people who do Beatles books, they, you know, for logistical reasons, they speak to people in England or in uh, America, but very few get to speak to people in Australia. So there was a gap there. And stories that, that again, haven't been told before, uh, and just connections People wouldn't necessarily realise, uh, you mentioned about Brian Epstein seeing uh, the Beatles at the cabin on, on the 9th of November. And a lot of you would know as well that there was some talk of Robert Stigwood, the impresario, being the Beatles manager. He's from South Australia as well, from a country town called Port Pirie. The Beatles hated the idea, so he, he didn't become their manager, but there was talk of that. Beatles astronaut, uh, sorry, Beatles astronaut, does, does that make sense? An astronaut from Adelaide called Andy Thomas, he was the first person to take the Beatles into space. I interviewed him and he talked about when he goes into space, he plays the three Bs, Beatles, Beethoven and Bach. So <laughs> there. And uh, yeah, just all these Beatles connections kept coming up. Uh, someone who filmed the Beatles when they were in Adelaide was called John Howard. And he seemed to pop up Forrest Gump-like throughout their career. And he also filmed them when they were in London uh, doing the Revolution film clip and Hey Jude. And also he did some footage for the Let It Be movie. So it's kind of topical as well. But once we started to look into these connections, we found that there were actually quite a lot. And it was just amazing to speak to people who had either met the Beatles uh, or, or just seen their concerts and couldn't believe it. Uh, and got to know, in some cases, got to know Paul and George uh, and just said how down to earth George was when George was here for the Grand Prix. He, he just would, would randomly accept lifts with people to the Grand Prix from the Hilden Hotel in Adelaide where he was staying. And this was quite remarkable because this was obviously post 1980. And uh, he was, he would, he would still mingle with people and people said, you know, that he, George would make them a cup of tea and not, not even indicate who he was. He was just so yeah. ridiculous. 
and humble, things like that. So lots of these personal stories in here, as I say, with photos of, of George and Paul, things like that as well. It's a great book, and I want people to know that if you're not the kind of person that can sit down and read a long narrative, this is done in interview style. So you're getting interviews from people um, and what their stories and their remembrances, and you can read a couple of pages and then put it down and come back and read a couple of pages. So it, it is really, really excellent. Um, just amazing. So we appreciate both of you taking time out of your work day to be here. Elena, after you ask your last question, we're gonna let you continue on with David. Okay, all right. Well, that book sounds fascinating and a lot of other countries do get dropped out of the big story as Michael was saying. So it's fascinating to have this uh, book coming out of Australia. So Michael or Olivia, let us know how can everyone follow you on social media and where can we go to buy the book? Well, probably the best place is uh, the Beatles Bookstore that's been mentioned before, uh, beatlesbookstore.com. Uh, that's probably the easiest way to get it. And as Leslie said, uh, we can actually sign it uh, if you want us to sign it. I don't know if that will increase the value of the book or decrease it. <laughs> I was about to say that. <laughs> if you prefer just one of us sign it, specify which one. <laughs> the signatures are forged anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> well, you two are lovely, and we are so honored to have you guys here with us. And thank you so much. It was great to meet you. Thanks so much, and thanks for your support, guys. Really appreciate it. All right. Okay, so we are going to push on with our next guest, which a few months ago, Leslie Cavendish recommended to us a book that was written by a friend of his who, like Jan Mitchell, grew up in the 60s and was a huge Beatles fan. But this fan, whose home of origin was London, was quite fortunate. He actually got to meet the Beatles, and in fact, he rubbed shoulders with them on many occasions, and his adventures are 100% or 1,000% if <laughs> you are not a mathematician. Uh, fascinating. His book is entitled, It's All Too Much, and because, like Ringo, I am a drummer, and our guest is also a drummer who plays with a traveling Wilburys cover band, which is the coolest thing in the world. And I'm especially thrilled to be able to chat tonight with our author, David Stark. So David. Oh, thank you very much. Thank you. Can you hear Good us? Can you hear me okay? Great. Yes, you're great. Yes. Cool. Yeah. Well, no. I I have the delay, but I think it's in the hair. <laughs> so, okay, David, tell us, tell us about your book. Well, you know, I'm, I've been a Beatles fan since I was 10 years old when I first heard Please Please Me back in 1963. And I lived in the same area of London as Leslie. I'm a bit young. Um, I was... You know, I was hooked from the age of 10 and I went right through the 60s as a big Beatles fan. And I was lucky to meet them on various occasions, had lots of adventures, which I decided just 
you know, for years, people were always asking me, Dave, when are you going to do your book? You've got so many stories. So I finally started it uh, about came out at the end of last year. Um, and it's got all the stories I could think of where I met the Beatles on various occasions, uh, not just in the 60s, but through the 70s as well. And even up to today, up to today, when I, I actually uh, know Paul quite a bit now, and we, I'm involved with his Lipper School, the Liverpool Institute of Performing Arts, and I give out the songwriting prizes every year with him in Liverpool. So that's, that's quite an honor. And, uh, but it, it all started with me as a kid, and basically my big adventure, which you can see behind me, was when I gate crashed the other submarine film uh, in 1968, which uh, uh, makes me want to read Bruce's book, of course, the new book. But uh, I, I, it's a long story, but I ended up um, kind of getting myself in. And thanks to Keith Richards of the Stones, uh, it's a long story, but I ended up sitting in Mick Jagger's seat that night and I'm sitting right behind Paul McCartney and all the Beatles uh, at the age of 15, uh, which was incredible. That was a fantastic night. And uh, I had John on my immediate right. And uh, it was just, I, I'll never forget that night. So that, and in fact, if I move my head, you can see me and George in the middle picture there. Oh, yeah. uh, I was just standing next to him in the foyer. So that's me age 15 standing next to George at the Yellow Submarine. But 68 was a big year. Um, uh, that same year was when uh, I went to the Stones Rock and Roll Circus. I won tickets for that. Wow. At the same time, yeah, John and Yoko were there, the Stones, the Who. I mean, I was awesome. very lucky. The Who. <laughs> yeah, my other big band. Um, I only saw the Beatles once. My my parents took my brother and I to see them at Hammersmith Odeon in January 1965 for their Christmas show. So that was the only time I actually saw the band play live. But I'm so glad that I, that I did. But what was interesting in 68 and it's, is that they were uh, planning to do the live TV show based on the White Album originally. That was the idea. The White Album came out in... November 68 and they were planning to do some live t TV shows and I found that in uh, our Time Out magazine which started in the 60s they listed um, the Beatles having penciled in three shows at the Roundhouse Theatre very near where I live in Chalk Farm in London they were going to play and do a live TV thing or or between J December the 14th to the 21st, 1968, which of course never happened, but uh, I had won tickets for that, for the Beatles show, where it, wherever it was supposed to be, I'd won tickets through the Beatles Monthly. So not just the Stones Rock and Roll Circus, but the Beatles in the same month, which had it happened would have been incredible. But of course they, they abandoned the idea and they ended up starting work on what became Let It Be in January 69. Um, and of course they played their final concert on the roof of Apple, but they never told me about it. I was at school that day, I should have been there. 
So, uh, but I did get, yeah, you know, so that, that was it. I, I, I did get a consolation prize, advanced copy of Abbey Road. But, but after that, I, I, I managed to meet them on all sorts of various, all sorts of occasions. I gate crashed the, also the Magic Christian premiere in 1969, met John and Yoko there. Um, that was great. And I met Paul many times now over the years. George as well. Even introduced my mother to George at the Albert Hall in 1973 when we went to a Ravi Shankar concert. And he was sitting right behind us having introduced the show. He was, yeah, as uh, Michael was saying, he was such a really nice, humble guy. So, you know, I think George was probably the easiest one of the Beatles to speak to because he'd be happy to talk about anything. He really would. And uh, he, he was awesome. a great guy. Uh, That's awesome. Uh, we well, lost him. Sorry. I'm sorry, David. We only, we I lost think him too only, soon. I think we only have 10 minutes left. And okay. Well, okay. So okay. I'm, I'm, I'm we definitely want everyone to know where to, can they buy your book, David? This is going to be a great story. Okay, well, it's the book is on Amazon. Uh, that's obviously the easiest and cheapest way to buy it. If you want a signed copy, which I'm happy to do, then it's just at my site, itsalltoomuch.net. So, and that tells you all the options for buying. Just go to itsalltoomuch.net. Okay. And do can people follow you on social media? Can we find you on social media? Oh, yeah. I'm on Facebook every day. Got it. Excellent. Uh, I'm all over the place. Well, thank you so, so much, David. And I know this was late for Leslie and you and our next guest as well. So thank you for being here very, very much. Thank you. I, um, because I spent 20 years doing research for my first book, should have been there. I've read a lot about the Cavern Club. And when EP, uh, the, you guys know the EP show, everybody knows EP from Australia. When he told me about this book, I was like, oh, this is going to be the same old, same old. But let me tell you, Cavern Club, the inside story is anything but the same old, same old. These are stories that only the owner of the Cavern Club would know about secret rooms and secret passages and famous guests who appeared there. One who refused to come in to the club because it was raining and um, just amazing stories. And the author of this book is one of the nicest people I have met. And of course she is because she is from my heart's home, Liverpool, we are so thrilled to have with us, all the way from Liddypool, Debbie Greenberg. Welcome to the show, Debbie. Thank you, Jude. Thank you. Hello from Liverpool. Um, <laughs> yeah, my book, Cavern Club, The Inside Story, covers 10 years of uh, my time at the cavern, five years as a member and five years as an owner with my father, Alf Gagan. Uh, I started to go to the cavern uh, in 1959 when it was still a jazz club and then in, it started to uh, have a little bit of rock and roll which infiltrated 
on and off for, for about six months. And then in December 1960, there was news of a, a group and they were builders direct from Hamburg and they were appearing on the Litherland Town Hall on the 27th of December 1960. And everybody was talking about this German group and they made their debut at the Cavern on the 9th of February 1961 and they were called the Beatles. Now, when they arrived at the cavern, of course, they weren't from Germany at all. They were Scousers, they were Liverpudlians, and they came to the cavern on a lunchtime session, that was their debut, and they absolutely exploded onto the stage. They were energetic, they were exciting, they, they were intoxicating, their music was loud, and their energy was palpable and we were just blown away with them and we just couldn't get enough of them. And I was determined then to see them for every one of their 292 performances after that, which I did. <clears throat> and it, it was just so, so special, so special. And the atmosphere, of course, in the cavern the stage was uh, very low, only about a foot and a half high. And if you were lucky enough to get into the front row, you, you could almost touch them on stage and you could chat to them and ask for a request and, and the, interact with the audience. They, they always interacted with the audience and it was very special. <clears throat> the atmosphere in the cavern was um, uh, very unusual. Uh, condensation came down the walls and the smoke in the air because everybody smoked and people perspired because it was so hot there was no ventilation in the cavern and you get the smell of hot dogs and soup from a little cafe and rotting fruit from the uh, across the road and the the infamous smell of the toilets it was a concoction of all sorts of smells um, <clears throat> but the Beatles were very very special and of course Brian, as you say, Brian Epstein came to see the cavern, uh, the Beatles at the cavern on the lunchtime session 60 years ago today. And uh, we knew who Brian was because we, we saw him in NEMS. We used to buy all our records from, from Brian. And he came with Alistair Taylor and he was captivated just like we were. He, he, went, he fell under the Beatles spell just like us. And after the, uh, the session, he said to Alistair, they went for lunch and he said to Alistair, what do you think? And Alistair said, I think they're fantastic. He said, do you think I could manage them? And as we say, the rest is history. It is, and, and you know, the history of our lives really. Now, what year, Debbie, did your father purchase the cavern? 1966. And then how long did, did you own it? Because you, you took it really at one point. How long did you own it? We, we bought it in 1966 on April the 18th, and we sold it in uh, January 1971. Yeah. So this book is really going to tell you things that you haven't heard in other books. There are rooms that I didn't know existed and passageways I didn't know existed. And some of the stories of the of the fans who performed when Debbie owned it are just remarkable. So we, where can they get it, Debbie? Where can they get your book? They can get it on Amazon and in uh, the U.S. in Barnes and Noble, in the U.K. Waterstones, Amazon, the BeatlesBookstore.com uh, will give you a signed copy. 
um, and all the Beatles outlets in Liverpool if you're visiting Liverpool. Well, we would love to do that. We are so anxious to get back. Thank you, guys. Who is that handsome gentleman there with you? This is Nigel. This is Nigel. (laughs) It's so nice to meet you in person. Really appreciate you guys very much. Now, John Borak, I think, had to leave. John, are you still here? Okay, he he had an appointment that he had to make. So he left. But John has a new book out called The Beatles 100. And it's about the 100 most pivotal moments in the Beatles career. And if you read his um, other book, which is Life is What Happens, let me show you that. This, um, it's written in that same sort of format of Life is What Happens, and it's called The Beatles 100. So you'll definitely want to look at that because I can't even imagine how, they, how he selected 100 most pivotal moments. There's so many. Um, and some of you are saying you bought that book. Um, Theodore Morrison says he bought that book. And everybody uh, is saying it's a cool book. So check out John's book. Now, I, I don't know. The show's going to cut off very soon. But let me say that we do want to, as long as we're on, give you guys a chance to ask questions of the authors. So if you want to type a question, we will open the mics for everyone And if anyone has a question, type away. And until we're cut off, we'll just keep the questions going. Um, Nigel and Debbie, so many people are thanking you for being here. And same for uh, Leslie and David. It's so very late. And you guys are getting up and going to work tomorrow morning, right? (laughs) That's right. Hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) So we do appreciate it. Thanks to everyone for taking time out to share these great books with all of us go out and as Bruce always says you can buy a t-shirt anytime and it's just going to get ruined in the wash and get holy and and shrink and but a book is forever you know that there's Emily Dickinson there is no frigate like a book to take us (laughs) worlds away and so go out and get one of these books question uh uh, is volume two available on Kindle? All of the books in the John Lennon series are available on Kindle and some of them on all ebook formats. And they're only $9.95. So if you can't get it, we are, there are lots of people saying they loved meeting all of you. And we thank you all. Lena, any closing comments? Well, we just cherish these moments. It was wonderful to see all these beautiful faces and to have a panel where it was half Half of the people had these exotic uh, accents. It was just, it was, it was magical. So thank you all for being here and making this so special. And um, I wish all of you a very, very happy, happy Christmas. Absolutely. Thank you. 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 Thanks everyone. Uh, The Greenbergs, Michael and Olivia, David, Leslie, Jan, Jim. Who am I missing? Lena, Ken. Uh, whether you call God it Bruce. or Wallach, <laughs> kisses Bruce. to all of you. Hope to see you April 1st through the 3rd at the Fest for Beatles fans. Woohoo! Woohoo! And, and Leslie, are you still here? Yes. Uh, John Bazzini from the Beatles in Print Together and Solo wants to know about some detail of your upcoming book. I should have asked that. I didn't know you had the, an upcoming book. All the venues. I can't, 
it may have cut off because I can't hear him. You know. Right then, guy. Oh, there he is. Good. Okay. So I've took my mic out. Um, uh, yeah, I have got a book coming out um, uh, early next year. It's actually called um, Across the Universe. Some have gone and some are still here. Um, it's about all the Beatle locations, but everywhere in the world, literally. All the hotels, the places they played at, lots of anecdotes, um, all the hotels, TV programs, uh, radio stations. So, and all sort of little things from people that have been to these shows. I've given little anecdotes about John having a sore throat, so three of them go on, and then you know, obviously the jelly beans being thrown at them. So yeah, John, you've been a great pleasure, and he does so much for the Beatle community, John. So I want to thank you um, uh, for all the hard work you do. And yes, I'll certainly let you know when the book's there, but well done, John, for all the hard work you've done. Yes, we all do appreciate it very, very much. Okay, guys, as we say in Liverpool, what do we say, Debbie and Nigel? Love to everyone. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Lena, for another great show. It was awesome. Thank you, Jude. Happy Ciao. birthday. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Thank you.